You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now present the Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. and welcome to Radio Maria Canada's The Health Hub. I am Kathy Biasa, your host, and Alex Diaz is our producer, and we are both very glad that you've taken the time to join us today. Our show is being taped, so no opportunity for calling in, hopefully soon, but at this point, um, we are still taping all of our shows, but please do follow us. We are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and we are at The Health Hub RMC in all three locations, and do feel free to email us. We are thh at radiomaria.ca if you want to connect uh, that way. And uh, we would love for you to subscribe to our podcast. We are the Health Hub on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, your favorite podcast platforms. And you can find replays of all of our podcasts on the Radio Maria Canada website, which is radiomaria.ca, and on my website, which is kathybiasse.com. Today, we have uh, one of my all-time favorite guests, Tiana Ringer, on the show. She's just a wonderful woman, wonderful lady to talk to, full of information. And we are going to be discussing concussions, uh, concussion treatment, concussion symptomology. Tiana is a physical therapist and a facial stretch and a facial stretch therapist, and she specializes in movement therapy, helping her clients to improve strength, power, and achieve functional independence. Tiana's movement experience ranges from intensive classical dance training and teaching, strength training, Olympic weightlifting, professional wrestling, and aerial acrobatics. Recently, Tiana has become particularly interested in helping women understand how training and eating can positively influence their mood and life. As well, Tiana has been treating concussions since 2014, integrating functional neurology, visual ocular motor exercises, and advice on evidence-based supplementation. Tiana received her Bachelor of Science Specialized Honors in Kinesiology from York University and her Master's of Science Applied in Physical Therapy from McGill University. She has completed numerous courses and and certificates to utilize various tools and treatment, including facial stretch therapy, evidence-based acupuncture, applied kinesiology, muscle activation, myofascial release, microcurrent therapy, and more. And Tiana believes that the key to health is a trifecta, movement, nutrition, and mental health. Health is subjective. An individual can be healthy. However, optimal health is maximizing one's potential. Tiana currently resides in Los Angeles, California, but she does make trips home to see her family here in Toronto. Wonderful guest, a wonderful return guest, and I can't wait for you to hear the show. It's very informative. Some of our learning points will be what are what exactly are concussions, um, symptomology of concussions, and uh, ways to look at treating them. So everybody, I hope you stay tuned with us, and we will soon welcome Tiana Ringer to our show. I'm not about to Gonna be brighter days. It's gonna be brighter days. I 
Listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now continue with the program, The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. As mentioned, today's show with Tiana is being taped, so no opportunity for calling in. We would love for you to follow us on our social sites. We are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And um, we are uh, at The Health Hub. No, we are. We are THH at RadioMaria.ca if you want to email us. And our uh, social media handles are at The Health Hub RMC. So fumbling over that, Tiana, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Kathy. It's a pleasure to be back. It is. It's really, you know, we have such a great conversation and flow the last time. It's, uh, I'm really looking forward to this topic. Um, and we're going to talk about concussions. So um, let's start off in the broad space here. And can you define for us in, in a way that, you know, makes sense to us, you know, with medical terms, but not too techie, uh, what a concussion is, you know, it's, it's far more than just a, a headache, right? 
Yes, definitely. So um, many of you have possibly heard that a concussion is, <clears throat> excuse me, also a form of a mild traumatic brain injury. And this is a result of some sort of, um, it doesn't necessarily need to be a direct blow to the head, but some sort of um, impact that happens. And so that can be, that can be a direct blow. That can also be a blow to the spine. Let's say, for example, you have a force where someone lands um, on their sacrum, on their, on their tailbone, and that can go all the way up the spine um, to the brain, causing concussion symptoms. So um, you have different aspects of concussion. There's also concussion symptoms that people will get in a whiplash injury, and that's where your head is forcefully thrown forward and then backward and then usually forward again. Um, and that can also be side to side. So a concussion is, is some sort of force that happens um, to the neck, to the spinal area that results in some sort of brain um, damage. And I, I say that because it's mild. You don't see these very much on like very readily on MRIs. It's not like you're going to see a bleed on the brain, although sometimes you will. And that's more of a traumatic brain injury. You'll find um, more that the person has symptoms as a result to this blow. And what happens is that the nervous system in the brain, so you have your brain tissue, which um, are these are these long nerves that all you know they're all interconnected there's trillions of them in the brain and different areas of the brain can be um, stretched and the theory is that it's stretched and pulled in a way that causes some sheer force on the nerves in in the brain and this sheer force is ultimately what causes the damage so if you have whatever this concussive force is, you get this shearing force, which creates um, an imbalance of what's going on in the brain. So usually um, outside the cell and inside the cell, we have sodium and potassium. So we have sodium outside the cell in, in great amounts, potassium inside. And there's always like a, a, a gradient or a balance that's happening. Whenever we have a nerve that fires, sodium rushes in, potassium rushes out. And there's a, a, what's called an action potential where that nerve basically fires, it goes down a pathway and you get a result of that nerve firing, whether it's a, a thought, an emotion, a reaction, a movement. Um, so when we get a concussion, that gradient that basically is responsible for these action potentials uh, ultimately gets out of whack or out of balance. So you'll get um, a all of these um, sodium, potassium, magnesium, and the, the different areas of the brain just not in balance. And so this causes an issue because when you do try to, uh, I'm going to say this uh, kind of cliche, use your brain. <laughs> um, but when you do try to think or do something and it's using that area of the brain that's been damaged, that nerve now is not necessarily ready to go, ready to fire and ready to do its job. So what happens is we have, um, so, uh, you know, sometimes you'll see swelling on the brain and certain imaging scans or it's theorized that there is swelling in that area that's been damaged just like if you were to fall and get a contusion you have blood that rushes to the area um, you know we, you'd see on your extremities on your arms or like you'd see visible bruising imagine that happening that bruising happening on the brain that's blood rushing to the area to ultimately start patching up and fixing 
what's been damaged as a result mm-hmm. of the force. Um, so, Tiana, just before you yeah. go on there, I just wanted to pull back a sec because two things that um, I wanted to ask you, or actually one to clarify, it is news to me, and maybe it shouldn't be because when I think of the anatomy of the spine and the brain, but falling on your sacrum, landing hard on a fall on your butt, that can actually lead to a concussion? Yes. Interesting. And- what you want to think about is your spinal column is ultimately uh, it's made of bones and, you know, just very generally bones and you have discs in between each bone and this acts as a shock absorber. And if you have a forceful impact, that shock doesn't just stay at the sacrum. It actually travels up the entire spine, which is supposed to absorb the shock. But if it's Mm -hmm. great enough, there could be a resultant force higher up in the in the circle so the neck or the brain stem um, area where you can get um, uh, you, you know some people will uh, forcefully clench their jaw when it happens and then mm-hmm. that can create that impact at the brain that can create some of these um, issues that we're seeing where where you get the damage on the brain Interesting. Now, when you're talking about the sodium magnesium channels um, and the the sodium on the outside, potassium on the inside and that gradient, uh, is it possible through a blood test uh, or is it is it a change in amount or is it the change of intercellular and extracellular potassium and magnesium that we're talking about? What I'm getting at is there a blood test that can be done to help uh, verify a possible concussion? Okay, so with regards to the um, sodium potassium, it's not necessarily a a change in the amount, but it is a change in where where the sodium and potassium is. So in order for an action potential to happen, you're going to have... uh, a certain amount of sodium that comes into the cell via the sodium potassium pump, a certain amount of potassium that rushes out of the cell. And that is always in a specific amount. Um, what can happen, which is really interesting, is if people have too much potassium in their body or too much sodium, that could affect um, muscles and cramping because you're just, and, and also it can affect uh, heart contractions. So I'm not going to go into detail on that because that's not my um, specialty but I know that it is there speaking with other professionals in the field um, so what can happen is you you will get a change in the um, amount of sodium potassium and like a blood test is just going to show do you have a certain amount of sodium and mm-hmm. a certain amount of potassium in your blood at that time a blood test can uh, definitely show if you have um, lower amounts, which um, are also, it is important to verify the amount of sodium and potassium in the blood to make sure that you're going to have enough sodium and potassium for these nerves to fire um, at an adequate rate when you are healthy and when you are healed. Um, So having a sodium potassium deficit for any reason could definitely lead to um, increased symptoms of this concussion and and potentially um, change or prolong the recovery. So exacerbating Um, the problem mainly is what we're talking about. Yes, exactly. So if you get testing done, like you were saying on an MRI, um, 
and a more severe trauma to the brain will show swelling, possible bleeding. Uh, this is a more severe case. I imagine, and please correct me if I'm wrong, that even if imaging comes back and it looks to be somewhat normal, there can still be a concussion that needs to be tended to? Absolutely. Yes. And that's why there are concussion symptoms that we usually go by because a mild traumatic brain injury, like I said, doesn't always show a bleed on the brain, but it'll show. This is really interesting where um, when you look at uh, cadaver analysis, like athletes that have donated their brains to science, um, we've had, you know, I don't know if people are aware, but there are some really sad instances where athletes, for example, NFL players who've had multiple concussions, um, suffer severe depression and mm -hmm. ultimately yeah. will commit suicide. And there have been athletes who've chosen to take their own life, um, but will not affect their brain. And so that it can be studied afterwards. And, and those, those brain slabs have been shown to have micro changes in the actual tissue that don't actually come up on imaging. Mm -hmm. Um, and actually, one thing I wanted to point out when, when we were talking of blood work, there is um, APOE4 allele, which is has been associated with a genetic um, influence on developing, on uh, an increased development of, uh, I want to say concussion or uh, chronic traumatic encephalopathy. Mm -hmm. um, and... Um, that's something that they do test in blood. Um, you can get this gene. It's theorized that people will have increased risk if they have an APOE4 genotype um, uh, in terms of having greater, uh, like a longer time to recover from concussion or um, a greater risk of concussion. So which would eliminate you if we're talking uh, about athletes, uh, you know, would likely dissuade you from uh, getting into certain sports, football being one, uh, soccer, maybe another. I know yeah. that these, these two sports in particular, uh, hockey, anything where there's contact, I mean, soccer, mostly the contact, I shouldn't say mostly if you watch the Euro, but a lot of the contact is with the head, you know, the head on the ball and that ball's coming at a, quite a, a rate and I know that there was some issue a while ago people talking about that um about that influence of 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 the, you know the strength of the, the force of the ball hitting the head and potential concussion issues yeah yes and that, and that it, it's good to remember that this could be anyone but someone with this it's been studied um someone with this APOE4 or genotype uh is found uh to be associated with um, more reports of concussion. So there, there has been information looking at the uh, relevance between the two. And yeah, we're, we're, I definitely want to get back to the multiple hits on the head because that's something that leads to, you know, people have seen the movies on like CTE or chronic traumatic encephalopathy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and what you that nailed it. is, <laughs> yeah, there, it's like, oh, <laughs> um, what that is, is basically the multiple hits to the head that go unattended and go undiagnosed. And also it's not just uh, the team, but sometimes the athlete just doesn't 
think that anything's wrong and they get back out there and they get hit in the head again and it just gets worse and worse and this could be successive within the same game this could be from game to game on on different days this could be month to month and basically if what i've even seen in practice is that if this athlete or if this person doesn't have to be an athlete does not recover appropriately from the first concussion and they can um then the resultant force of a second concussion or any successive blow to the head, no matter how major or minor, is um, is exponentially worse. Mm-hmm. And for some people, it's twofold. Some people, it's tenfold. But their symptoms just come back way worse than the first time. Well, when we're talking about symptomology, then you, um, I think headaches are, are an obvious one that most of us would know about. But can somebody, you know, is there symptomology that maybe an athlete or someone who's been maybe in an accident or has experienced a blow to the head or trauma to the spinal area? Is there symptomology that may go under the radar or just not really associated with concussions that, that we should be aware of? Yeah, so there's, there's a... Um... One of those things that we use is actually the SCAT-3. And it's we only use the symptom score, which is one part of the SCAT. And um, it, it's just a list of symptoms that you get when you have a concussion. Um, one thing that people should be aware of is if they get any blow to the head and they have any amount of headache for any period of time, they should probably just be aware. And if it doesn't go away within two to three days, you know, definitely go get it checked out. And with that, I'd say like any blow to the head, go get it checked out because you don't know, there might be something there that goes undiagnosed or unrecognized. Um, and, and yeah, let's get into this because this is, this is really interesting. I've treated, uh, I've been treating concussions since 2014 and uh, there's a, a number of tools that I use and a number of things that we go into from visual ocular motor uh, assessments to balance, to breathing, um, and then this symptom scale. And so the symptom scale that we mostly use, like I said, is the SCAT-3. And I'll just rhyme off all the symptoms that it goes through. So the first is you have headache. And that is graded on a level of, all of these are graded on a level of zero to six, but these are any symptoms you want to watch out for. And someone may have some, all, one or two of the symptoms, um, but definitely these are these symptoms have been related with concussion and, and whiplash injury, which are uh, have the same symptoms except for one. Um, and, and I believe that one is vomiting. I always get it confused, either nausea or vomiting, but I'm pretty sure it's the vomiting aspect with whiplash. Um, so you have headache, you have pressure in head, you have neck pain, nausea or vomiting, dizziness, blurred vision, balance problems, sensitivity to light. So these are people that they they don't want to turn on the light. Um, I'm going to say right here, it is not good to sit in a dark room because that makes you even more sensitive to light. Sensitivity to noise, same thing. It's not good to, to walk around with headphones on because that will ultimately make you more sensitive to noise. So someone who's not sensitive to light, not sensitive to noise, if they sat in a dark room with headphones on, they would be more sensitive to light and noise when they came out. So that actually um, has been a treatment, has it not for concussion? It, it has in the past, but they're showing that that's not necessarily helpful to anyone. That's old news. Um, we want people to expose themselves to light and noise in small increments, whatever they can tolerate to a certain level and then rest. 
um, that can also help with the recovery, right? Mm-hmm. Then there's also more symptoms. There's feeling slowed down. A lot of people feel this or feeling like you're in a fog or, or in a daze. Uh, you don't feel right. Difficulty concentrating, which is a big one. I get people coming in. Oh, I hit my head, but I'm fine. Really? Can you go to the grocery store and pick up everything you need? No, I forget. Mm-hmm. They have difficulty remembering um, they have fatigue or low energy. So then when we get through the symptoms and we're getting into these difficulty concentrating, difficulty remembering, fatigue or low energy, they're like, oh yeah, hey, yeah, I've been, I'm, I'm, I'm napping during the day or I am going to bed early. And that's also a symptom of concussion. Very interesting. Um, you have confusion. Yeah, you have confusion, uh, drowsiness, trouble falling asleep. So that's another one. <laughs> And this goes with, this is really interesting. I'll, I'll, once I finish these symptoms, the trouble falling asleep, this one is interesting because you can be drowsy and tired, but then on the flip side, some people may have trouble falling asleep. They have trouble maybe resting their brain or, and they could be in an anxious state. Mm-hmm. Um, and that anxious state um, prevents them from falling asleep. Then you have uh, more emotional um, irritability. So things that are stressing you out more than normal sadness and then nervous or anxious um so one of these things i just want to go back to that trouble falling asleep and link it to that nervous or anxious when you get a concussion as i mentioned to you kathy it affects so many parts of of your brain um, and your body and your well-being um with the nervousness or anxiety what i've seen um is a change and anything that happens to the brain will show up in the eyes. And that's why we do these visual ocular motor screens. So we will see changes in a person's pursuit or saccade. So pursuit is your ability to, if you, if you imagine a bird flying in the air, the pursuit is when you are keeping your eyes locked on that bird and you follow it along the sky without moving your gaze. Okay. So your gaze is a smooth, directional gaze so that's your pursuit we'll also see changes in your saccade and a a saccade is for example um the quick darting motions of the eyes so let's say there were four birds in the air and you darted your eyes from one bird to the next to the next to the next that's a saccadic movement where you're quickly shifting your eyes and your gaze and what we see is, and, and these movements, the chasm pursuits can happen uh, horizontally, vertically, and on a diagonal. So there's a whole combination of them. But what we see is a change in the ability for someone to control their, and, and to uh, direct their eye movement. And by that, you know, it's an automatic reaction. When we ask someone to volition and maybe make a saccade or hold a pursuit, they have changes in this ability and it either brings on a headache, brings on this uh, difficulty to concentrate, brings on this feeling like you're in a fog, uh, brings on sometimes nausea, vomiting, blurred vision. And it, it, that eye movement, that inability to move your eyes has also been tied to increased levels of anxiety. And so now we have poor eye movements, increased levels of anxiety, where we find that if we can, and I found this in, in some patients, not all patients, because everyone is different and has different things going on. But if, if, if I'm able to 
improve their saccades, their saccadic eye movements and, and their pursuits that they end up sleeping better. And usually it's because they're, they're thinking better, they're concentrating better, their anxiety's down. Very so all of these symptoms sometimes tend to be intertwined into mm-hmm. something else that's going on as a result of the concussion. Fascinating. Tiana, we're going to take a quick break here, everybody. We'll be back in a couple of minutes to continue our conversation with Tiana Ringer. Another heartbreak day Feels like you're miles away Don't even need no shade When your sun don't shine Shine
You are listening to The Health Hub, here on Radio Maria Canada. A Catholic voice wherever you are. To contact us and be a part of the show, email thh at radiomaria.ca. We now continue with the program. Here once again is your host, Kathy Biasi. Hi, everybody. You're listening to The Health Hub on Radio Maria Canada, and we have with us the wonderful Tiana Ringer. We're going to continue our conversation about concussions. Tiana, we we finished off the first half talking about testing and talking about symptomology. Is there a baseline for these tests, or is it completely individualized? Thank you very much, Kathy. That's an excellent question. Baseline testing has been something that we've been talking to a lot of parents and coaches about for quite a while. And I say parents and coaches because usually when we're talking about baseline testing, it's usually with the athlete. Baseline tests are are good. They're not going, they're not meant to diagnose if you currently have a concussion or or are experiencing symptoms, but they are simply uh, a baseline for where this person is at, especially if you are the type of person that is involved in some sort of high velocity sport or something that has the potential of getting a, a brain injury that we know where you are starting from, that when you get if you get a concussion, we know where you're at and where you need to get back to. Um, without a baseline test, it's it's very subjective. It's just going by what the parents say, what the kids say. And um, when we look retrospectively, sometimes these uh, ideas of where we we're at personally might be exaggerated than where we really are. So having a baseline test is a way to have some sort of normative data for ourselves or some sort of numerical data that shows us, Hey, this is where you are at. This is where you're at now. And this is where you need to get back to. And so if baseline someone tests will include, yeah. No, sorry. If someone comes into you, that's not an athlete. Uh, this is you're, you're just going into history. I'm, I'm assuming then. Yes, exactly. So if someone's not an athlete, and they're coming in, and they've had a concussion, you know, you you can't, if someone wants to be proactive and get a baseline test, that's fine. But then you have to redo that baseline test every year, because with the norm of aging and sarcopenia and loss of um, even reactive time, you will pretty much have to get that done every year. It's not necessarily recommended because it can be expensive. It can be, you know, something extra that not everyone's willing to do. But if you want, sure, it's more information on you to see where you're at. Um, But if someone does come in who's not an athlete and they have sustained a concussion, either from, for example, car accident or an accident at work, I had a lady who hit her head very forcefully on the bottom of a desk while while standing up and resulted in a really bad concussion. Um, But then at that point, we are trying to get that that, uh, patient back to a point that they were at based on their, the subjective history that we can take from them. And so what is your approach to treatment? What is included in your standard protocol, if that's a way to put it, or um, what are your favorite, favorite avenues for treating people with concussion? Yeah, definitely within the first two weeks. So it's good to understand that within the first two weeks of getting a concussion, most people will feel better. Um, If it's, you know, a mild concussion, there's not many symptoms within two weeks, if they did nothing, most people will feel better, they might not feel 100%, but they will feel better within three weeks. 
most people are, are, are within, I think it's like that 87.5%. Most people are feeling great. And within one month, you should be feeling 100%. Now, that's um, on, on a good day. <laughs> you know, if, if people come in with a concussion, everyone is different. And for the most part, what I find is if it goes untreated, you will feel better, but you will not feel 100%. So the first thing I like to do is educate the client, um, educate the patient on what a concussion is, what has just gone on, because a lot of people don't know. And so they sit there just thinking, oh, yeah, I'm fine. But meanwhile, they're at their job and they're realizing they can't concentrate or they need more coffee than they used to, or they're unable to uh, fulfill certain projects because they just can't focus. And so... Um, education is first and foremost, education on what just happened, education on how to take breaks at work, education on limiting the amount of screen time. So the blue light that we get from our phones and from our screens can really be aggravating to a concussion and really flare up symptoms, uh, bring on more headaches, migraine type headaches. Um, then there's also limiting the amount of time watching TV, or if you are going to watch TV, do it from further back. And the reason is nothing happens to the brain, as I mentioned before, that doesn't show up in the eyes. So if you have even a mild hit to the head and you're just waiting out that one week to see if you feel better and you're on the computer just as much, you're on your phone and you're watching TV, you can actually make your symptoms worse from what they were. And so education on limiting this or uh, finding ways to adapt this, taking calls on a headset away from a computer screen, um, blue light glasses just while you're on the screen um, or getting those covers to filter out the blue light. Um, so the first treatment when I see someone is, is a lot of education. Then there is, uh, I do a visual ocular motor screen. So I'm looking at your pursuits. So I first look at actually gaze stability. Um, can a person hold a gaze without moving their eyes off of it? Um, we have a natural reflex blinking, which helps um, shield our eyes from damage. So if we were to keep our eyes open the whole time, what happens is we get bleaching in, in the eyeball and um, the blinking actually helps us um, prevent the eye from getting damaged, prevent the iris from getting damaged. And so what I look at is gaze stability for a short period of time. Can someone hold gaze stability? If they cannot, I know right away that that person's going to have a hard time doing anything in their life um, because it shows that there's going to be a difficulty concentrating. Then we look at, well, I, I look at um, can they do visual ocular motor movements? So that's, so that's um, turning the head while keeping your eyes fixated on a point, and that'll be vertical as well as horizontal. Uh, then we look at pursuits. So that's with your head still, the ability to track an object side to side, up and down. We look to see if there's excessive nystagmus. So that's when you bring your eyes to the very edge of, of gaze. If we see a natural shaking that occurs, some people get it worse than others. Some people get it on one side and not the other. Um, then, so looking at uh, saccades, which is the darting of the eyes side to side, horizontal and vertical again. Um, and we look at your ability to do visual ocular movement in a balanced state. So feet together, 
head straight, uh, eyes looking straight ahead, head moving side to side, up and down. Does this person fall over or not? So that's a test of balance as well as um, moving the eyes and, and coordinating the head. So that's actually as, as simple. We, we take that stuff for granted. When you get a concussion, you'll see how, fall, how fast you'll fall over um, because the brain is just so fixated on healing that it's taking so much energy to heal that it can't do these other processes as well. Um, so, so do yeah. you then, you know, when you're talking about healing and you're talking about, uh, you know, if, again, the brain is, is not new, obviously, but it's really becoming center stage in a lot of different research out there for many different things. Um, and in this knowledge that you're acquiring, is there an eating pattern? Are there supplements? You know, we take supplements to heal below the shoulders. We, you know, to focus on, on uh, many different aspects of health. Are there certain supplements or nutrition programs that, that you recommend in general for people that have suffered a concussion? Absolutely. So within the first um, session, as part of this education, we definitely go straight <clears throat> to three, three, maybe four specific supplements. And this will depend on the person, their budget, um, Omega-3, specifically DHA. So um, omega-3 is made up of EPA and DHA. You want to get a high DHA. It's been shown in research to actually support um, the brain and support the nervous system. Um, fun fact, it is 10 times more absorbed in fetuses, so pregnant women should be taking DHA. Consult with a physician first, but this is what is shown in research. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, another one is vitamin B complex. So usually it's B2, it's the riboflavin, and then I believe it's been B3 as well, but B2 is normally for um, brain regeneration. But I usually recommend just a B complex because all the bees work together for absorption. Mm -hmm. Then there is magnesium. Um, and so there's a product out there now called Neuromag, which came out of, I forget who did it. I want to say like MIT, but I could be wrong. Um, but anyway, Neuromag came out several years ago where they actually bonded magnesium to three and eight. So this is a more expensive form of magnesium, but three and eight can cross the blood brain barrier, which is where we need more magnesium. So I tell people to buy Neuromag. You can be taking a magnesium supplement, but the difference with these supplements is magnesium will be bound in different forms. For example, there's magnesium malate, there's magnesium bisglycinate, magnesium oxide. You want to get magnesium three and eight in order to cross the blood brain barrier to give your brain what it needs to heal. Um, so those, so you have your DHA, you have, uh, and, and the DHA you'd want to take in, um, higher amounts, like one gram of DHA and then one gram of omega, which is a com a, a combination of EPA and DHA. Mm -hmm. uh, then you want to take your B complex or, or your B2, but I recommend a B complex for it to work together. Then there's the magnesium. Those are the three main ones. And then on top of that, I would even say coenzyme Q10 or ubiquinol, um, has been shown to help with brain, um, recovery. And uh, ubiquinol is the active form of coenzyme Q10. Ubiquinone is the inactive form. Um, the ubiquinol is always more expensive, but in my opinion, it's worth it. Um, and, and so this is information that I've gotten from very high level elite uh, clinical nutritionists, biochemists, and endocrinologists. However, you know, people should definitely consult 
um, a physician who's well-versed in this stuff if they want the biochemistry and what's best for them. But those are the four supplements that I, that I will recommend right off the bat. Um, aside from that, if someone's having difficulty sleeping, they can try melatonin. Um, there's uh, melatonin IRXR from Life Extension. Not to, I don't get any money from Life Extension, but not to post the brand. It's a good melatonin because it helps you fall asleep and then it allows you to stay asleep. Um, again, this is all information um, from, from my friend that I get. So this isn't just me learning out information. This is coming from high-level high professionals. Um, aside from that, there are certain protocols. For example, I will tell people to stay off THC and stay off alcohol. Um, those will dehydrate you. THC will dehydrate you. Alcohol will dehydrate you. Um, alcohol is a stimulant. It, you will feel having one glass of wine when you don't have a concussion and having a glass of wine when you do have a concussion are two different episodes mm -hmm. and it will make your recovery. It can prolong your recovery. Um, coffee. So caffeine, if someone's a huge caffeine drinker, I try to limit them to one to two cups per day. Um, if they're up at like three to five cups or if they can just do one coffee a day, because again, it's a stimulant and you don't want to be um, over activating a brain that's trying to heal. Um, then there's, uh, the nutrition aspect. So our nerves need protein and, uh, they, they need glucose, but not in the form of sugars because, uh, not in the form of simple sugars, because if you have too many simple sugars, you're going to get a blood sugar spike and that blood sugar spike is followed by a blood sugar crash, which ends up giving us more fatigue can give us more headaches. So we want to maintain a, a um, balanced blood sugar level. So eating foods like oatmeal, um, grains like quinoa, um, uh, good carbohydrates that do not spike your blood sugar. So vegetables, root vegetables, um, to help maintain that blood sugar level, not having sources of simple, simple sugars or carbohydrates, such as like um, cookies, uh, honey, because we want to avoid that blood sugar spike and crash. Also, there's been information that shows that um, people after concussion do well on a lower, not a low, but a lower carbohydrate diet. So increasing the amount of protein, having protein at every meal um, is going to help uh, with the recovery, good fat. So you have those omegas in there, which we talked about having fish, um, your if you eat eggs, egg yolks, um, there's a combination of good saturated fat, so saturated fats as well as unsaturated fats and olive oil with a high polyphenol count. So those things are also going to help with the recovery. Um, one of the things some people might feel though is a loss of appetite. And we, we usually see this, there's a vagal nerve interaction. You can also get um, a loss of appetite or GI uh, upset and disruption and um, something like that it's really important to start paying attention to that and follow a good diet that's going to a not disrupt your GI but if you are lacking appetite um, finding small snacks or meals uh, having like a handful of nuts for example consistently throughout the day because you do need the nutrients from the food in order to help your body heal without adequate nutrition you can actually 
increase your anxiety levels. Um, with increased sugar, there's uh, a lot of research now with the gut-brain interaction. You can actually create inflammation in the gut, which will increase your anxiety or increase the inflammation in the GI system, which combined with the concussion, it just makes things like exponentially worse. Well, there's such a connection between the, the brain and the gut, and as you said, the the, uh, the vagus nerve, all that. Um, and again, the vagus nerve on its own deserves a show because it's such a fascinating, um, it's such a fascinating area of the body that we're just starting to to understand. At least the lay of us are, are starting to understand. Um, fascinating information, Tiana. And unfortunately, we have to to end the show on this. I think we could talk for a lot longer, but I really want to thank you for coming back on. You're a great person to have on the show, full of information and really easy to talk to. So thank you so much for. Joining joining us. Thank you, Kathy. It was such a pleasure. And I, that's, I hope um, that gives people an idea of what a concussion is and how like the, the simple steps to manage it and, and to go see someone. That's the number one thing. Go get it checked out if you've had any bump on the head or fall on, the, on your buttocks, because it could lead to something more severe. Absolutely. If you guys want to follow Tiana, she's on Instagram and uh, her handle is at the Tiana Ringer. And of course, when the podcast comes out, uh, we'll have her information there. So everybody, thank you for joining us and we'll talk to you next week on The Health Hub. to The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi, here on Radio Maria Canada.